It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to the FT Money Show from Investors Chronicle and FT Money. Hello and welcome to the FT Money Show. In today's programme, base rates held at 5%, but why can't borrowers get a standard variable rate mortgage with no fee? A positive return every month and 10% a year, Nicola Horlick reveals the best-kept secrets of the fund management world. Avoiding 40% inheritance tax, how to maximise your nil rate band, and we have some good news and bad news on regular savings. I'm Matthew Vincent from FT Money, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with the help of my colleagues from FT Money, Steve Lodge. Hello. And Elaine Moore. Hello. So let's start with the money news. This week, the Bank of England held base rates at 5%, despite the price rises in the mortgage market. And this week, it became even more difficult to get a low-cost deal. Halifax, the UK's largest mortgage lender, announced last week that it was scrapping standard variable rate, or SVR, mortgages for new customers after the facility had been flooded with new applications. Now, traditionally, the SVR was just the rate that you had to move on to when your fixed rate or your tracker deal expired. And it was never terribly attractive because it was often two percentage points higher than the base rate. But in today's topsy-turvy mortgage market, that's not such a bad deal, especially as SVR mortgages don't carry hefty fees. Um, So, Elaine, does this mean that there's now even less chance of getting a cheap, fee-free mortgage? Well, it's certainly not very good news if you're looking to remortgage or looking to take out a new mortgage. But what's quite interesting about this is that it doesn't seem as if borrowers are taking out SVR mortgages because of the low cost, so much as they're doing it to bide their time until they think the credit crunch eases and they can take out fixed or tracker mortgages at lower percentages. Basically, no one wants to commit themselves to another two years, three years or more at at, at today's fixed rates. Exactly. Lenders have passed on the higher wholesale funding costs to fixed and tracker mortgage rates. So what people don't want to do is get stuck with a high rate and then in four months time find uh, the market awash with new lower rates and be stuck and not able to take them out. So they're taking out these SBR rates in the meantime and the banks know that they're doing this and they also know that they're not likely to hang on to these customers for very long. So this for them is not a very good deal. So they're trying to almost force borrowers to lock in to their next fix, their their next tracker deal, just uh, to retain 
business. What the banks are saying and what Halifax has said this week, which is the and it's the largest mortgage lender in the UK, is that mortgages cost quite a bit to set up and that SVR mortgages come with no setup fees, no early repayment charges. So if the customer moves after a couple of months, they've in effect lost money out of that. So they would rather see new customers come onto fixed or tracker rates and stay with them for a few years. But this didn't used to be the case people would come off a you know a fixed rate uh, or, or a tracker deal and they'd move on uh, to svr lenders didn't have a problem with that they'd eventually go on to another uh, fixed or uh, or tracker deal um is this just sort of symptomatic of the you know, the ongoing turmoil and concern on the part of mortgage lenders Absolutely. I mean, there was a time when the mortgage lenders would have liked nothing better than for their customers to go onto an SVR, sit there for a while, they would collect the higher interest rates and, uh, and make more money from them. But what's happened now is the SVR rates are coming down, as the bank interest rates do, but fixed and tracker rates are coming up as a result of the higher wholesale funding um, between the banks. So they're sort of now, SVRs are now sort of comparable to two-year tracker rates which is, makes them quite interesting, but again, with, without the fees. So they're looking quite attractive for mortgage customers. Which has n- never really been the case uh, before. Steve, this is going to affect potentially an awful lot of people because um, if, if most people are like me, certainly, um, they don't get their act together that quickly when they come off a, a, a fixed or tracker rate. They take a bit of time to look around in the marketplace. Um, yeah, abs- absolutely, Matthew. I mean, despite... Mortgage brokers claiming to the virtues of churning guy, putting you into a new deal straight away. I think most people have got better things to do in their life. Then they come off their deal, they sit on SVR, eventually they get round to it. Um, We've heard, of course, that there are hundreds of thousands of people coming off these attractive fixed rates that they took out two-year fixes for four and a half percent. I think they will sit on SVR. I'm assuming in this that uh, the Halifax and the like and other lenders aren't going to turn around and say, "Sorry, mate, you can't sit there on SVR. We want to lock you into a deal." But that could be an even more sort of perverse um, uh, result of this kind of behaviour. Um, but I think it is. It is. It is. As Elaine says, it's very bizarre behaviour because. Of course, these are the same lenders who are saying, um, we're withdrawing all these other loans. Um, there's a shortage of funds. I mean, if people can't take out SVR, what are they going to be done? What's going to happen? They're going to be shoehorned into some nasty subprime tie-in deal or something? Yeah, exactly. Well, um, the question is, what's going to be left mm. uh, for these customers? Although, I suppose, Elaine, we should stress that um, uh, the Halifax measure only affects new borrowers, doesn't it? So if you're an existing borrower coming off a Halifax deal you then can you can go on to the svr rate that's it this is only for new customers and the other banks and building societies that have taken measures against customers going on to svr rates have also targeted new customers so woolwich set a one percent fee for transfers into its svr mortgage skipton building society is charging new borrowers about 800 pounds for an svr this is all for new customers not for existing customers i think one of the uh, repercussions could be that it's again the people who don't have a deposit are the ones who are being really targeted. And so the message maybe is if you want to go onto an SVR rate, you do it now because advisors are saying that uh, C&G, Lloyds TSB, could be the next ones to impose limits on their SVR mortgages and others might then follow. Just the idea of charging someone to move to a standard variable rates is, uh, uh, well, beyond me. Never thought we'd see the day. Well, uh, thanks, Elaine and Steve. And for more on mortgage rates and fees, look out for Elaine's article in this week's FT Money 
in the Weekend FT on the 10th and 11th of May and online at ft.com forward slash money. You can also send in your questions for us to answer by emailing us at ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. Still to come in the programme, transferring the nil rate band between partners to save inheritance tax and some good news and bad news on regular investment plans. But first, absolute return funds. In today's equity markets, if someone offered you a small but absolute return on your money every month, which could add up to 10% a year or more, I bet you'd bite their arm off. Of course, the trouble is, despite the launch of a number of absolute return funds in the UK, none of the big-name fund managers here has achieved that kind of track record. But Nicola Horlick, herself a big name in fund management and the founder of Bramdean Asset Management, knows where you can find little-known managers who've been producing absolute returns for years. So I went for tea with her at the Woolsey on Piccadilly to get in on the secret, and I began by asking her who and where these fund managers are. And as an example, um, there is a market maker in the States called Madoff. He's actually the largest market maker in the States. And he is somebody who is very, very good at calling the US equity market. And he has developed this product where basically he makes calls on the market and there are a number of funds that feed in to his views, in effect. And so if he's actually really negative or ambivalent about what's going to happen next, then he'll just put all the money into US T-bills. But if actually he's extremely positive about the market, he will put on a derivatives trade, but he will put on what's called a collar. So what that means is there's limited upside, but there's also limited downside if he gets it wrong. So you're protected on the downside. And this guy has managed to produce one to 1.2% per month, year in, year out, for years and years. Well, that's, uh, that should be a fund that everyone's uh, interested in. What's it called? Um, uh, this particular one, because there are various feeders, this one's called Defender. But the problem is, of course, that you actually need to have a million dollars minimum to actually put into the fund. So it's not accessible by everybody. You have to be a sizable person, you know, investor with high net worth, or you can get exposure to it through our vehicle, Brandine Alternatives Limited. I thought you might mention that. Uh, obviously, that, uh, that's just one of uh, many holdings um, in Bramdean Alternatives. Um, what other asset classes do you think uh, you know, are, are currently looking, looking good uh, in terms of the remit of Bramdean Alternatives? Well, we've been looking at distressed debt. We've invested very heavily in the distressed area over the last 12 to 18 months. And that was because we had a pretty negative view about where the world was going. So we positively favoured that sector. But it's been out of... um, No one's really wanted to play in that area of the market for a long time. But we found a number of funds that we really like. And um, one of them, for example, said, well, you know, we're not sure we're actually going to draw the money down, make a commitment, we'll see how things go. It's a US-based fund. If things get bad, then maybe we'll invest money. Well, of course, now <laughs> they are investing the money. It's definitely being draw- drawn down. So Distressed was one of these sort of slightly sleepy backwaters that haven't really been in play for a while because of market conditions being positive, and suddenly it's become a big area. So everybody's scrabbling around now trying to get in. We were lucky because we were ahead of the game. And so that's an area that's going to work well, I think, for us in the coming months. Uh, We still like private equity. There's a lot of 
upset about the private equity sector, and that's reflected in share prices of private equity vehicles on the London Stock Exchange, which have fallen quite sharply and now sell on big discounts to their net asset values. And the fact of the matter is that this is a good environment for private equity investing. You can actually buy companies at lower prices, and if you're a top-tier player, and those are the only sorts of player that we invest our money with, you can still get the financing. Yes, it's it's on less good terms in, in, in terms of having more restrictive covenants and so on and so forth. But the truth of the matter is the deals are still being done, and I think there's been a huge overreaction in the marketplace to private equity. As far as I'm concerned, this is a much better environment than it was a year ago. So, um, And then in the hedge fund area, we've tended to be underweight in long, short equity hedge funds because a lot of them are glorified unit trusts, frankly. You know, they, they have portfolios which aren't markedly different to when the manager was working at a, another ordinary fund management firm, and yet they're charging very high fees. So I'm very wary and cautious. There, there are very few truly talented equity managers in the world. There's literally a handful. And what we're trying to do is to seek out that handful and make sure we can get exposure for our clients to them. That was Nicola Horlick of Brandine Asset Management. And for details of other fund managers' strategies using recovery stocks and value stocks, see this week's FT Money in the Weekend FT on the 10th and 11th of May. Just before we move on, Matthew, the Woolsey. Yes. Um, I'm surprised she took you to such a grand hobnobbing establishment after what you were saying about hedge fund managers last week. Uh, well, I suppose so. Um, were you not describing them as spivs? I would have thought you'd be lucky to get a, a cup of a cuppa down Joe's calf. Well, all I got was, in fact, a cup, uh, a cup of tea. Uh, and there weren't any hobnobs or, or anything else for that matter. Uh, and it was a very sort of... Um, uh, sort of yeah, frugal. Um, let's get let's get down to you know the business of uh, fund management kind of event. Mm. <laughs> yes, but the tea was very good. Yeah, and I'm sure the biscuits were worth every penny of two pounds each. Um, I think they were about two pounds each. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yes, fund managers. Uh, don't, don't you just love belt tightening in the city? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I imagine next time it will be down the down the greasy spoon. Coming up, we have good news and bad news on regular savings. Before that, though, inheritance tax planning. In the pre-budget report last October, you may remember that Chancellor Alistair Darling announced that the nil rate ban for inheritance tax, which was then £300,000 per person, would become transferable from one spouse or civil partner to another with immediate effect. They were happier days for the Chancellor and indeed for taxpayers. It all seems such a long time ago now. But this week, HM Revenue and Customs did have some more good news. It said that it would only require basic paperwork to allow these transfers, which can now allow a couple to shield £624,000 from inheritance tax. So to find out how the nil-rate banned transfers work, Alice Ross of FT Money spoke to Graham Clark, who's head of private clients at Courtiers. Perhaps, Graham, you can start by telling us what a discretionary will trust is and why people might have taken it out prior to October last year and what happened in October last year that changed the situation somewhat. Prior to October last year, the, the main purpose of writing a discretionary will trust would be to um, have the availability of both nil-rate bans for a married couple upon death. Quite often, the first uh, spouse to pass away would leave their assets entirely to the surviving spouse, quite naturally, to ensure their um, future financial security, etc. This creates problems, though, because that, that first spouse, in, in effect, wasting their own nil-rate band, 
and adding to the inheritance tax position for the remaining spouse. So a good bit of planning in the past was to use a discretionary real trust where um, an amount up to the value of the nil rate bank could be put into trust of which the surviving spouse could be a potential beneficiary, um, enabling the, the, the trustees to, to make capital and income distributions if required to the surviving spouse, but without that capital forming part of the surviving spouse's estate. So there was a lot obviously made about uh, when the, the Chancellor got up in October and announced that uh, he would double nil rate bans for married couples and partners in civil partnerships. In effect, for people that had had these discretionary will trusts in place prior to that announcement, the, the net effect was, was, was very was very similar. In effect, now what's, what you can do is utilise both nil rate bans without the need for a discretionary will trust because what would happen if the if the, the first spouse to pass away actually um, left everything to the surviving spouse, then the surviving spouse on his or her death could actually double up their nil-rate band entitlement, obviously taking into account any lifetime gifts which would come off the, the value of the nil-rate band. I know there's been quite a lot of debate in legal circles about what the future of the discretionary will trust is now, and some people have said, well, that was its purpose – uh, to effectively double the nil rate bank for inheritance tax, but it doesn't serve that purpose anymore, so they're now defunct. But obviously, you think that's not the case. Can you explain why that might be? One of the main the benefits of of, of, of using a discretionary will trust going forward is that that if if the value of the assets that pass into the discretionary will trust on first death grow quicker than the increase in the in the nil rate band, it means that there's still a potential inheritance tax saving. It also it's very useful in, in cases where there's long-term care requirements for the for the surviving spouse further on down the line, because it means that potentially that um, the value of the assets in the discretionary trust, because the surviving spouse hasn't got an absolute right to the that capital, it won't form part of their estates when they pass away, and also it shouldn't come into any means testing that a local authority would would do when when assessing long-term care requirements. It's also very good if you don't want to, if you think about adding to the potential inheritance tax liability of future generations as well. Um, so we, we generally are richer than perhaps our parents were at this stage of our, their equivalent lives. And so by, by passing assets at first, first death directly to children or grandchildren, you could be adding to their inheritance tax mm. problems as well in the future. Okay, and so what about people that have a discretionary will trust already that they took out prior to October? What should they be doing? Yeah, I mean, I certainly wouldn't advise that uh, the people with existing discretionary will trusts go out and scrap them completely um, because they need to really review them with their solicitors and look at the wording because it is quite important that um, that the wording includes provisions that the maximum that can be put into um, the maximum that, that wouldn't be subject to, to inheritance tax is put in. So I would advise all clients really with discretionary or people with discretionary will trust actually go and review that with their solicitors. That was Alice Ross of FT Money talking to Graham Clark of Courtiers. And for more on maximising your nil rate band for inheritance tax and HM Revenue and Customs system for claiming it, you can read Alice's article in FT Money in the Weekend FT on the 10th and 11th of May. And finally today, it's good news, bad news on regular savings. Now, 
Steve, I thought regular savings are, are always a good thing. I mean, so savings, uh, it's a virtue, isn't it? Well, what's interesting about these plans, Matthew, is these are regular investment plans. Uh, by they've, they've been launched by two of the biggest brokers out there, two of the biggest online brokers, TD Waterhouse and Self-Trade. And they're for regular, small, drip-feed investments into shares. You can do it for unit trusts, which everyone knows about, and probably many listeners will have done it with investment trusts as well. But now, for the first time, you can do it at low cost into your BPs, your shells, even your AIM stocks in some cases. Um, low cost, pound fifty. another bit of good news. Um, but the bad news, you mentioned the bad news, of course. I mean, the, the reality is, for in an internet world, you're where people are used to lump sum investing and a bit more sort of tradery approach, um, you're dealing blind. These services can only charge what they charge, £1.50 is, is, is the standard, really, or there are a number of offers around, um, by bulking your order up with other people, other investors' orders, and then dealing, say, once a month, twice a month, four times a month, in, in the case of Halifax's um, offer. Um, so you won't know the price you've got um, until after the event. That said, you can cancel your deal if you don't like the look of the price the day before you can cancel the regular investment plan. So if you cancel, if you cancel your plan, yeah. um, can you then decide to resume, presumably, once, once yes. the price is yes. looking more so, favourable? So, yes, so there is flexibility here. Um, but fundamentally, you, you don't know the price. Um, I mean, it's a bit like old, almost postal dealing services, you'll, you'll remember, and so on. Um, and inevitably, I mean, these things are sold as sort of about risk reduction. Um, you know, in volatile markets, you benefit from pound cost averaging. You lower your average price. You don't put all your money in just before the crash. Um, so you're taking out a lot of time and risk here. But by definition, because you're drip feeding money in every month, you're never going to get in at the absolute bottom of the market with all your money. But pound fifty for a deal, is that, is that the cheapest um, sort of share deal out there at the moment? Well, it is, but don't forget it's pound fifty. The assumption is you're going to save every month, and it's pound fifty per holding as well. It's fine. So, so you want to regularly invest into BP shares, pound fifty per month. That's 18 quid over a year, yep. um, and you could still have a fairly small holding then. Don't forget these sort of uh, online brokers now, they'll do lump sum investing for pounds fifty. Um, you know, some some even less, seven. I mean, one thing people, lump sum investors might want to consider, and this is a sort of good kind of wake-up call for them, is regular investing can make sense in a kind of core satellite approach. So you could have your your satellite of taking big bets on investments and at the same time just do this as a bit of sort of regular investment, a bit like your pension, your monthly pension saving, really. Um, but the other reason it's, it could be a wake-up call for lump sum investors is because of the this massive reduction in, in dealing costs and since the internet uh, took over the world of uh, share dealing, um, people should think about actually splitting a trade. So say you had a £5,000 BP trade planned. Why not split it into two, two and a halves? And, you know, instead of taking that massive punt one day, invest two and a half, you pay another £12.50 and then wait for hopefully the price to fall a bit more and buy some more. And at those sorts of levels, that's that's still quite a cost-effective dealing charge. Yes, exactly, yes. So it's, it's, regular investing isn't for everyone. I mean, it was the, interesting, one broker, uh, the head of research at Self-Trade, described it as he, he saw it as uh, for people who were growth investors, long-term growth investors, rather than value investors. So the people out there who are trying to spot the, the anomalies, the cheap shares, the cheap investments out there, are probably going to naturally be um, uh, lump-sum investors and want to just jump into the market because at exactly the point that they see 
value or, or a share being undervalued, you yeah. might as well go straight in at that level. Exactly, exactly. And and the the obverse of that being that if you see a long term growth opportunity, and these um, these schemes are, they apply to shares. We mentioned investment trusts, and often it's worth going direct to the investment trust house itself to see if the fund. They often have a sort of low cost regular oh, savings plans free, themselves. Free some of them. Yeah. Um, and unit trust schemes are rarely charge any more for regular saving as opposed to lump sum saving. But these these schemes also can make sense for ETFs. So ETFs are a lot of, you know, obviously the latest thing, particularly for more exotic markets, commodities and all the rest of it, possibly not commodities. But say you wanted to make a, um, a long-term bet on something like India or China, then a regular investment into an ETF through one of these schemes could make sense even for the most active investor. And because ETFs effectively track indices, they have very low um, management charges as well. Yeah. Well, it sounds like these two uh, regular saving schemes uh, could be very good value if you are a long-term growth investor. So, Steve, um, thank you very much uh, for that. And that's all we've got time for in this week's FT Money Show. Do remember that you can email us your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. And we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Steve and Elaine. Goodbye. Goodbye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.